0: And we'll pray. Father, we, um, we just ask now that you fill Jo with your spirit as she uh, brings your word to us. And Lord, would you fill us with your spirit as we receive it? Um, Lord, we just pray that these words would be yours, that they fall on such rich, fertile um, soil in our hearts, Lord, that they would produce fruit, uh, Lord, that bears your likeness. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Uh, Thanks so much. It's really lovely to be here today, and I'm looking forward to that cake, exactly that cake. Um, So Luke, what a story. He is a great storyteller, isn't he? Um, The letter to the Colossians, one of the uh, letters to the early church, says that he was a physician. And many of you will know that we have a son, um, and that he is about four weeks away from being a doctor, Um, I know, can you believe your child is going to be a doctor? That's quite hard to believe. Um, Maybe it has all been a dream, actually. Um, But I I think doctors are good with people. Um, They have an amazing memory. They are pretty clever on the whole, I reckon. And they're good with detail. And Luke here in this story loves the detail. He gives us little details that none of the other Gospels tell in their accounts of the same stories. And you get this picture from Luke of the crowd pressing in on Jesus while he's teaching them. And you can almost see him. He's going backwards into the lake. So Luke's little details are things like there were two boats... And the fishermen weren't in them though, they were on the shores cleaning their nets and Jesus got into one of the boats, Peter's boat, and asked him to push it out a bit. So you think, one, so he didn't end up actually in the lake, and two, so that his voice would be amplified um, by the shape of the shoreline. And three, what this tells us, these kind of details, is that this isn't some kind of Myth, this isn't a legend of some kind. This is actually an eyewitness account. It actually happened, and that's why these details are so interesting. So we're going to read through this story, and I don't know, I managed to sit. We've got a little backyard, I think we should call it, and we were sitting out there. John was painting our very old garden chairs. This is domestic bliss in the Soper household. John's painting these chairs, which are about to collapse, to be honest, and we had this blue paint in our shed, so he, bless his heart, decided to paint them to keep them going for another few years. I was sitting there drinking coffee and just keeping an eye on things, and... um, (laughs) And I noticed we've got a tiny backyard, but we've got lavender in it. And this bee, you will see this has got something to do with the story. This bee, you know, big bumblebees. What, what is it doing in April? Don't know. But it was it was buzzing away in this lavender and just finding a flower from which it could extract the pollen and then making this fantastic buzzing noise and you know how their legs get absolutely weighed down by huge lumps of yellow pollen have you seen that and then he would buzz and go into this other flower and I was thinking this is what we're gonna do we're gonna go across we're gonna (laughs) fly across this story and kind of just pause in a couple of places to see what we can extract from what Luke might have wanted us to find there so first one verse three verse three in this story If you've got your Bibles, you can have a little look. Jesus effectively says to Peter, can I use your boat? Can I use your boat? And I feel like this is typical Jesus in a very strange kind of way. Just think about this. He needs what you have. He chooses to need what you have. And of course, in one sense, he could have managed without Peter's boat. He could have hovered above the water if he had really wanted to. But typical Jesus, he chooses to need what you have. And you see that, don't you, in those stories like the feeding of the 5,000, where it's, what have you got? What have we got? Five loaves and two fishes, or is it the other way around? Five loaves, two fishes? Yeah. That's what we've got. That's what this little boy's got. He could have managed without that lunch, couldn't he? He could have managed without that boy's lunch. But he says, no, I'd like to start with that. Bring it to me. And I have a feeling Jesus is set on this as a way of working. He loves collaboration. So the question is, what is it that you have in your hands that Jesus might want to use? So, I want you to stop for a second and imagine, because this was Peter's everyday bread and butter, this was Peter's everyday life. So, just cast your eye and your imagination across your everyday life. It may be your home, it may be the place you work, it may be some position of influence you hold, it may be something you own. Just imagine Jesus showing up and saying, I'd like to use that, please. I wonder what that might be. So if you think that is a weird thought, here's another one. When Jesus has finished his teaching, he's sitting there in Simon's boat He, a carpenter by trade and a religious teacher, says to Peter, why don't you put out into the deep water and let your nets down for a catch? Put out into the deep water and let your nets down for a catch. Now, just imagine that. Humanly speaking, that makes no sense at all. And to be honest, I imagine that was irritating for Peter Peter is this hardened fisherman. He's been fishing all night, and he has caught nothing. And it is extra ridiculous to suggest fishing in the daytime. These nets, which were kind of suspended between boats and would hang down into the water, were made of linen, and they were invisible to the fish at night. But even I know that fish in the heat of the day sort of lurk in the, in the deeps, don't they, and under rocks. Any, any fishing people who can vouch for that? So even I know it's a good idea to fish at dusk or in the nighttime. And we know as well, don't we, that Peter is an impetuous type. He speaks before he thinks. So look at his answer. He says, Master, We've worked hard all night, and we didn't catch a thing. Now this, it seems to me, is a crucial moment for Peter. He is tired. He is fed up. I suspect he's broke as well. He could have just said, catch your own fish. But no, he says, but if you say so, if you say so, I'll do it. I don't get it, but I'll do it anyway. It seems like a waste of time, so much effort with so little chance of success. It doesn't make sense, and I don't feel like it, and I'm done in, and does it have to be now? If I was him, at least, I would be having what John would call a sense of humor failure. I would probably have a bad attitude. (laughs) But you know what, I don't think that matters because he still does it. He does what Jesus tells him to do. And I believe this kind of paves the way for a miracle. Because Jesus, again, seems to really like this way of working. If you look through the Gospels, a lot of miracles include this hinge moment When a person is asked to do something to signal their trust in Jesus, their willingness to obey him. Stretch out your hand. Get up and pick up your mat. Go and tell the priest what's happened. In the Old Testament as well, we get these fantastic stories. Do you remember that one in Two Kings about that woman who has nothing left but a little bit of oil in a jar? And the prophet says to go and collect as many jars as you can from your neighbors and start to fill them from the oil that you have. Honestly, that would make no sense. But the act of obedience, I think, triggers a miracle. And maybe there are things that you've put aside when you come to think about it that Jesus has asked you to do. And maybe this as well is a completely new idea to you. Obeying God in any kind of specifics isn't something you've maybe even thought about before. But tonight, here and now, we could determine to explore this. We could start to learn how to hear his spirit. And if that's new to you, you could do some simple things like get together with some others you trust and ask them to help you on that journey. It's something to cultivate. Because I believe that this is a bit of a hinge moment for the church. I think it's a time when the church has an opportunity to determine to obey God more fully. Whether it's the small things, a a nudge of a sense that you should pick up the phone and call someone in particular. Or whether it's a big thing, change jobs downgrade on your salary, move, move home. And even where we've got discouraged in the past because we haven't seen a miracle or we haven't seen what we thought God wanted to do, and many of us are in that place, I really believe that God will still reward your obedience. And I felt a little nudge from the Holy Spirit, I think, that there were people in this room who needs to hear this. It won't go unnoticed. It hasn't gone unnoticed. Take a moment to wonder, is there something God has been speaking to me about that I need to actually act on? I've been meaning to, maybe. Maybe I've put it in a back pocket. Is there something God's been speaking to me about that I need to act on? Jesus wants our yes. He wants your, okay, I'll do it. So here's the next thing I think we should stop and notice. When Peter realizes, it's this moment that it dawns on him what has just happened, that a miracle has just happened in verse 8. Look at his reaction. He isn't jumping up and down in his boat. He isn't throwing fish in the air. He isn't getting the party poppers out. Verse 8 says, when he saw it, He fell down at Jesus' feet saying, go away from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. You might think it was a bit of a downer. Surely this catch will pay off some debts for him. Surely this catch will feed his family. He might be able to build a bigger house. It might enable him to start a little fishing business of his own. So what is happening there? I think Peter, for one, for sure, is astounded by the miracle. But I think he also realizes that he is in the presence of someone wholly other. and holy in both senses. Holy, utterly other and wholly, holy. It's as if the, the nearness of the divine, realizing the nearness of the divine at work is terrifying. And I, some of you will know that story of Isaiah, where he experiences the nearness of Almighty God and he says, Whoa, it's me, <laughs> I'm ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. For I have seen the King and the Lord of hosts. And I was thinking it's a bit like you've been living in a dark and dingy place for a long time. And you've got used to it. And then a light shines in. And you realize how grimy and grim everything is you couldn't see it before. But the big point isn't actually how grimy everything is. The point is the light has come. This beautiful, captivating light is streaming in and nothing will be the same again. Being in awe, actually, of God's burning, pure justice, of his sinlessness, of his hatred of evil, of his power, is a good thing. It leaves us, like it does for Peter here, on our knees. It leaves us humbled. And it leaves us with a sense of his grace, rather than with any sense of our entitlement. And Jesus' response there is really interesting. He doesn't say, yes, you are a sinful man, but I will forgive you. In this moment, he says to Peter, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. So although following Jesus does mean asking for forgiveness, it does mean accepting His grace. it does mean confessing our sins it does mean asking him for more of his transforming power in our lives. it does mean leaving behind habits and behaviors that lead us away from God. it does mean growing into who we are but This moment isn't that, I don't think. This is Jesus commissioning Peter in spite of the fact that Peter is right. He is a sinful man. And he says, don't be afraid. Yep, you can't do this on your own. But with me, everything is possible, as I think I just demonstrated. So as Jesus comes near and you see who he is, the right response is, or. And Jesus does something very neat here because he says to Peter, from now on, you'll be fishing for people. Did you see what he did there? That's good. That's good. (laughs) Would it be like, anyway, think of what you do. What would Jesus be saying to you? would he make a little joke? I can't think of one. (laughs) If you're a footballer, maybe he'd say, you're going to be... No, anyway, that doesn't (laughs) work. Let's not go there. Anyway, he says, from now on, you're going to be fishing for people. So with Jesus... Peter is going to be throwing out a net, if you like, that will actually pull people out of the depths, out of the darkness, and will draw them into the kingdom of God. The net, if you like, will be showing people and telling people who Jesus is and what he's done. The net will be casting wide an invitation to say yes. To this saving, healing, freeing, transforming love and power of Jesus. And as we know, don't we, from the book of Acts, which is the book Luke went on to write, thousands and thousands of people start making Jesus Christ their Lord and Savior through Peter's fishing expeditions. And what is so heartening to us. Is that he doesn't always get it right, does he? Those of us who know how the story goes, he doesn't always get it right along the way. But he does love Jesus. He does want to obey him. And I think Jesus' mercy covers the rest. And he says, "Let's give this a go." <laughs> so the last place we're going to pause little bumblebee buzzing is in the final verse of this story, verse 11. It says, When they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. When they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Now, of course, there is something unique about these disciples and the part they're going to play in the story that follows. But there is something here for us all as well. Because we know, don't we, that Jesus commissions every follower of his to catch people. To catch people up into the kingdom of God. To catch people up in the good news of great joy that's for all people. He commissions all of us to go and make disciples. To invite other people into a life with him. And that is a challenge that many of us might need to come back to. But there's something else in this final moment for us, I think. And that is this picture that Luke paints of a moment when you leave everything you value. You leave it behind in order to follow Jesus. Where Jesus, following Jesus, isn't an optional extra. It's not going to be one of the many things that you're juggling in your lives. And his question, maybe to us here today, is are you all in? And this morning I had a sort of little sense of a picture of some people whose eyes were flickering around the place. And it's interesting through these last two years, isn't it, that some of us, through the pressure of COVID, have leaned into Jesus. We have fixed our eyes on him. But some of us have found this whole thing really distracting. and It's as if our eyes are flickering all over the place. And I felt this invitation for us today to set your eyes on him again. Are you all in? This man, if you imagine that moment, leaves you astonished and fascinated and captivated and unsettled. But I wonder if, like Peter, we're ready to say, I am going to follow this man for the rest of my life. I'm going to watch him. I'm going to listen to him, I'm going to learn from him, I'm going to do what he does, and I'm going to do what he tells me to do. So you make this decision, you make this choice to follow him, and it changes the way you see everything. And in this particular account, there's an emphasis on how you make a living. If you think about it, what Peter does is walk away from that catch. He walks away from that catch. And he walks away from his boat. And then later in the same chapter, Luke tells this other story of how Matthew got called to follow Jesus. And if you imagine Peter, who would have been struggling to pay his taxes, Matthew is the one making a lot of money from collecting taxes. But Luke says the same thing of this moment of decision for Matthew. It's in verse uh, verse 26 of the same chapter. It says... He left everything behind. He left everything behind and began to follow him. And when you follow Jesus, there's a break with the stuff you valued most in this world. Maybe it's a job, maybe it's your possessions, maybe it's money, maybe it's relationships, maybe it's family. The way you live will change, and it is costly in many ways. But I will say this, you will love people better. You will use money and stuff more powerfully than before. You will stop using relationships to get worth or to control people. Your work will become transformative and purposeful. And you will sit differently in relation to those things. So that if he asked you to walk away from any one of them, you would say your yes. And when you've experienced his nearness, his power and his love, that cost to you becomes like spare change. Paul says in his letter to the early church in Philippi, he says, I count everything as loss compared to knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. That's quite a place to come to. So let's stand and take just a moment if you would like to we're just going to ask the Holy Spirit to speak into that story and help us to wonder about what it might look like for us to meet with the living, risen Jesus. Just ponder for a moment what it would be like for jesus to be come near can i use your boat will you let me use what you have will you obey me even when it doesn't make sense and are you all in Will you let go of the things that you value most and trust me? Will you remodel your life with me at the center? Let's take a moment and just ask the Holy Spirit to come. I just speak especially to a couple who've got a wound where they tried to obey Jesus and it didn't turn out how they thought. Come, Holy Spirit, and reignite hope in us, heal us.